Well, this week I've actually been out sick, and so Chris graciously is going to bring the word to us this morning. Well, good morning. It is my joy and privilege to be with you all this morning to be able to say two things. Number one, I get to also say Happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers. We love you, you are precious, and we are so thankful to God. And this is not a pun, but this is the truth for your labor of love. Always, not just once, twice, or however many times, but throughout and to the end of your days. Happy Mother's Day. And number two, it is my joy and privilege to say, please open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 6. Proverbs, chapter 6. Please don't answer out loud, only in your mind. What are the top three things you hate? Don't tell your neighbor. Keep it in your mind. It can be small. It can be big. What are the top three things you tend to hate? Got it? Now, this doesn't come as a surprise to us, but one of the strongest terms spanning across the world of all languages is the word hate. Now, it may not seem like so strong of a word when you're talking about things or circumstances like, I hate it when it rains. I hate vegetables. I hate that movie. But maybe the word will get a little stronger if we say, I hate getting sick. Or, I hate tax season. Or, I hate Texas summers. But, what if someone said to your face, and I don't know, maybe they have, I hate you. Now, I ask you, can that word get any stronger? The answer is yes. How? When God Almighty says he hates something. So we're going to have just a brief flyby overview of a little study of the hatred of God. This is a theology of divine hatred as explained by Solomon. Our text this morning reads in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 19. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. This is the living word of God. And so the theme of the book of Proverbs is wisdom for the details of life. And as you read through the book of Proverbs, it appears that no topics ex escaped King Solomon's attention. Matters pertaining to personal conduct, sexual relations, business, wealth, charity, ambition, discipline, debt, child rearing, character, alcohol, politics, revenge, and godliness are just among the many, few of the many topics covered in this rich collection of wise sayings in the book of Proverbs. But particularly, according to our text this morning, our theme is how the wisdom of hating what God hates promotes and proves godliness. Now, you might be thinking, oh wait, I thought God is love, 
First John chapter 4, verse 8 says, God is love, and you would be right. But God who is love also hates evil. This truth goes hand in glove. It does not contradict. Perhaps you've heard it said, God hates the sin, but not the sinner. That cannot be, because his word says otherwise. Psalm chapter 5, verse 5, you hate all who do iniquity. Psalm 11, 5, the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Psalm 45, 7, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. You cannot separate sin from the sinner. And so, briefly, our context this morning in the book of Proverbs is, our writer, our author, is Solomon. Indeed, he had the vast empire, richest of all men. And the audience to whom he writes here, it, we see in chapter 1, verse 4 of Proverbs, it is given to the youth. So dear youth this morning, and by the way, you're a youth if you're up until the age of, you know, your young 30s. <clears throat> but if you're older than that this morning, this is still for you and I to hear. But the specific audience is to the youth. Chapter 1, verse 4. And over and over again throughout the Proverbs, he pleads, my son, my son. And most scholars believe he was pinpointedly, directly speaking to Rehoboam, who indeed rebelled and erred and strayed. So this is indeed to all of us. And in our immediate context of chapter 6, if you back up to, to verses 6 to 11, Solomon there is condemning, warning, and instructing the slothful, the lazy, those who simply love to do nothing but really do nothing, but make mischief. And then you keep going to verses 12 and 15. He describes the heart and habits of this wicked man and warns him of his end if he keeps on his path of pursuing wickedness. And so this brings us to Solomon's introduction in verse 16, where he says, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Now, if you read that right off the bat, you wonder, why does he say it that way? Well, it was a common Hebrew way of catching the reader's attention by putting emphasis, especially on the last point of the list. And you see this pattern, this usage of catching the people's attention in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 15 and 17, and chapter 30, verses 18 and 19, and also the book of Job and the book of Amos uses this technique often to grab our attention to say, wake up, listen, here's what matters to God. And so we have to ask ourselves, according to the introduction here, what's an abomination? Well, an abomination really means to stink, to be loathsome, to be unclean, that which causes disgust and turns the head. You could almost think of someone witnessing someone down, down an alley kicking a, a, a blind, crippled dog. I think all of us would turn the head to that and say, ah, what is that? Why is that? That is terrible. In biblical usage, it's something that God loathes and detests because it is vile and offensive to him and his character. Some Old Testament examples. 
of abominations, idols, sexual immorality, temple prostitution, homosexuality, cross-dressing, child sacrifice. You'll remember that in Jeremiah 32, 35. Sacrifice your child to the God of Molech so that you can have financial prosperity. What? An abomination. Now, if we have a reasonable moral head on our shoulders, even the size of a pea, we will agree with God by his word that the things such as these that we just mentioned are an abomination. But now God the Holy Spirit will scan us from head to toe, revealing to us things we might not so quickly title abominations. So this brings us to abomination number one. Haughty eyes. This is the sin of attitude. Now, as much as our physical eyes do speak and, and reveal much uh, about us, right? Your eyes are the windows to the soul, yes. This description, though, has more to do with our heart's attitude, namely pride. Proverbs eighteen twelve: Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty or proud. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other sinful vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. You'll remember Isaiah 14 and, and Ezekiel 28 describing Satan's attitude, right? I will be like the most high God. I will be high. I will be lofty. I will be exalted. The haughty person sets himself above others and ultimately, believe it or not, above God. When we are haughty, we become the center of our universe. Everything revolves around us. There is little, if any, concern for what others think and no consideration, really, for the will of God. And listen, here's the scary thing about our pride. When we are at the center of our world, then nothing that we want and nothing that we do is unlawful to us. It is that blinding. Some examples might be bragging about yourself. Presenting yourself to be bigger and better than others, even in the subtlest of ways. Boasting in your intellect, wealth, looks, accomplishments, power. Showing off, making fun of others, even reveals a haughty spirit. Spurgeon puts it this way, pride and haughtiness is the trunk of the tree from which all other sins sprout. Psalm 18:27 though says, he saves the humble, but the haughty eyes he will bring down. James 4:6 says, God opposes the proud. God stiff arms the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Ask yourself this morning, where and when have I looked down upon others? How have I possessed an exaggerated sense of my own opinions and interests? Do I have a diminished awareness even of the needs of others? So, with this in mind, we move from the eyes of pride to a certain sin of the tongue. Abomination number two a lying tongue. This is the sin 
of speech. Come on. An abomination? Is there really divine judgment for being a liar? Proverbs 19 verse 9 says, He who speaks lies shall perish. Revelation 21 8, All liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire. But it doesn't hurt anybody. <laughs> it's the smallest of things. Proverbs 26, 28 says, A lying tongue hates those it crushes. Where you, whether you realize it or not, it is crushing. Well, come on, what about little white lies? Stop. There is nothing little about it. There's nothing white about it. And did you catch the third word? It's a lie. What about exaggerations? Just a, just a little embellishment. Well, think of what a lying tongue does. It deceives others. It seeks to protect self and is an attempt to make yourself look better in some way, even if it is small. If you don't think a lying tongue is an abomination to the Lord, who is the way, the truth, and the life, just survey the lives of Ananias and Sapphira. Lying. God hates it. We've done it. And just as pride spawned from Satan, so too lying is Satan's native tongue. It is his language. Listen to what Jesus says of Satan in John 8, 44. There is no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of lies. So, with the first two abominations here, we see that when having a haughty spirit, when harboring and exercising a haughty spirit and a lying tongue, we are mimicking Satan. Those are the footsteps we are walking in. But rather, the believer, the new creation in Christ is to be found doing Ephesians 4.25. We are to be found laying aside falsehood, casting it off from us, speaking the truth with his neighbor. Ask yourself, where have I succumbed to the hellish tactics of the devil by shading or not telling the truth? Abomination number three. And hands that shed innocent blood. This is the sin of anger, the end of verse 17. Listen, dear congregation, sin left unchecked easily leads to a Cain and Abel situation. In fact, God told Cain in Genesis 4-7, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Warning and side note, murderers didn't plan on being murderers. The school shootings we've heard of recent days, they didn't wake up when they were seven or eight years old and think, I'm going to go be a murderer. You don't plan on it. Be warned. And who was, again, a murderer from the beginning, John 8, 44? It was indeed Satan. Now, you might think, well, I'm not as bad as, as Cain or the school shooters, or I'm not as bad as Satan. I haven't used my hands to shed innocent blood, but have you ever been angry or called someone a name? 
Jesus says in Matthew 5.22, as he is explaining the depth of the heart of the law, the holy law of God and the Ten Commandments, he explains it. He gets right to the heart of it. He pierces the hearts of the Pharisees. He pierces our hearts. And he says in Matthew 5.22, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. In other words... Jesus is exposing murderous hearts here. The mistreatment of another. Yes, even name-calling. Calling calling your brother Raka. Calling him fool. And we see that so much of this stems from, from, from envy, from anger, from covetousness, from not getting what we want. James chapter 4 verse 2 speaks right to our hearts. You lust and do not have, so you murder. And if that's not clear enough, 1 John 3.15 says, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. The author of all life hates hands that shed innocent blood. And so should we. Yes, we should be sad. Yes, we should hate the idea of abortion. Yes, all of these things. But ask yourself this morning, where have I belittled? Where have I insulted? Where have I hated or killed my neighbor with my thoughts, my words, or even my gestures driving down the road? Where am I battling the desire for revenge even? Abomination number four. A heart that devises wicked plans. The sin of imagination, verse 18 You know, some of us with blood pressure that is high or elevated cholesterol counts are watching our hearts closely, aren't we? But all of us have to deal with a heart disease of a different kind. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all else and is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? We must be on guard to various situations that arise in life. Yes, even if you are a new creation in Christ, we have to be aware of someone surprising us with a question we would rather not answer, so we try to evade the truth. Another car collides with our car and we become angry. And our imaginations roll for what we're going to do in that moment. A fellow worker at our place of employment gives us a hard time and we respond with sarcastic remarks. Think of the subtle venues that you have and and avenues that you have to take revenge on someone that has done something wrong to you. The heart is desperately wicked. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 7, 7, verse 21, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts. Sexual immoralities, thefts, murderers, adulteries, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Perhaps you don't think, you know, I don't have wicked plans. I don't have wicked imaginations. Like, this is, this is for the sinner. This isn't for me. This is for the wicked. This isn't for me. Well... In your walk with the Lord, if you're, we have to understand this, that if, we're, if you're not putting on the armor, if you're not doing 
what God tells us to do in his word by his grace, you are passively planning to fail and fall. You are passively planning to fail and fall into devising wicked plans. Perhaps sometimes you think otherwise, how did I plan that? How did I think that? One example, being King David, 2 Samuel 11. Think of David's easygoing, wandering eye on that breezy spring afternoon, which led to a look, which led to lust, which led to adultery, which led to lying, and his lying led to murder. Man after God's own heart. King of Israel. We are susceptible to devising wicked plans. Listen, when we give no thought to God in our daily plans of our heart, you are susceptible. The Bible explicitly tells us on the complete opposite, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. If you fail to acknowledge God in the doing and planning of your heart, then the door is wide open for planning to do what is wicked in an instant. Be on guard. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs, the issues of life. Ask yourself, have I purposefully harmed another in thought, word, or deed? Is my heart, as Romans 1.21 says, is my heart darkened by vain, futile, wicked imaginations? Abomination number five. Feet that run rapidly to evil. This is the sin of of action. So, if you're devising wicked plans in your hearts, you will inevitably have feet that run hard and fast to sin, right? Even if you are just lazy and not putting the armor on, you will have feet that end up running to evil. What about a, a, a joke that sparks hurt or embarrassment? What about just letting your tongue Run wild. Proverbs 10.19 says, Where words are many, transgression is not lacking. What about the things you search for and run hard after for on your device, or movies, or entertainment, or certain books? What about the kinds of, of conversations you chase after? Question. Don't you hate seeing others run rapidly to sin? Doesn't it, doesn't it hurt? You hate to see that. And that's good that we hate to see that. But we must hate seeing it in ourselves. It is nothing to hate them in others. We must learn to recognize inward sins before they are birthed into action. Inward sin left unaddressed, you know, there in your heart, steeping and simmering, will always spill over into our actions. Do not be fooled. Do not be deceived. What you so you will reap in some fashion. Our feet follow where our heart has already gone. No wonder Solomon says in Proverbs 4, 
14 and verses 26 to 27. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Ask yourself, where have I been led astray by rash, unexamined, and untested desires which have led me into sin to so rapidly run to evil, whether it's in public or whether it's in private. Abomination number six, and I promise there is hope. I know this is heavy, but there is hope. Abomination number six, a false witness who breathes out lies. This is again the sin of the tongue. This is indeed the eighth commandment of Exodus 20, 19. And much like the second abomination, a lying tongue, this one refers to those who are so accustomed to lying that they'll give a false testimony in court before the jury and before the judge. Even with your hand on the Bible, if they still do that today, swearing to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. As easy and effortless as breathing, they let out lies and give a false witness. Proverbs 19.5 says, A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. Have you in the slightest, in the slightest, ever affirmed something as true, knowing full well that it isn't true? A lying tongue might hurriedly fabricate an untruth, but a false witness carefully and deliberately plans the lies he plans to tell. Proverbs 21, verse 28, a false witness will perish, but a man who speaks the truth will speak forever. Ask yourself, am I so used to breathing out lies? Do I talk about others in a way that, that makes me look better than I am so as to be a false witness? And then we come to abomination number seven. And this is really where the the chief abomination appears. This is the further grabbing of our attention because remember, as he said, there are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven. And here is the seventh. And one who spreads strife among brothers. I mean, some of us might think, that's got to be last on the list. What's the big deal? This is the sin of influence. And Proverbs 15, 18 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. And Proverbs 16, 28, A perverse man spreads strife. A whisperer separates close friends. As a child, one of my hobbies was just this. I was a professional strife spreader. This is what I did from as young as I can possibly think. It was 
fun. I enjoyed it. And I thought nothing of it in the light of God's word, which I was memorizing like crazy at Awana. It was my hobby. I loved it. I was good at it. And it indeed influenced the other kids around me in my neighborhood, in my church. But the Lord, who is the Prince of Peace, he hates troublemaking. Those who enjoy dividing others. Yes, again, in the subtlest of ways. Those who make it a sport to stir and spread conflict in a family, a group of friends, at work, or in the body of Christ, God forbid. Proverbs 20, verse 3 says, Keeping away from strife is an honor for a man, but any fool quarrels. Ask yourself, where have I neglected to cultivate peaceful relationships with others? Where have I meddled in other people's business? Where have I mocked their accomplishments, published their failures, or proudly announced my own achievements? Remember our theme? How the wisdom of hating what God hates promotes and proves godliness? Dear Christian, do you want to be wise? Do you say you're wise this morning? Then hold fast to James chapter 3, Verses 13 to 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? Okay, then let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic how often have you and I operated in the wisdom of the world which is actually demonic? Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. Remember Romans 12, 9? Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Build one another up. That's what wisdom is. That's what the love of God is. And verse 18 says, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. How do we respond to Proverbs chapter 6? Discouraged? Walking out of this room with our heads down, with our tails between our legs? Absolutely not. Number one, evaluate your hatred of sin. Evaluate your hatred of sin. It, do you take it lightly? Do you respond lightly to the sin that is within and the sin within, which indeed creeps up and spills over? Listen, we haven't even talked about the sins of selfishness, rudeness, greed, discontentment, irritability, impatience, grumbling, judgmentalism, worldliness. We haven't even talked about those things. So besides your hatred of the list of abominations in Proverbs chapter 6 that we've seen this morning, how casual is your distaste even just for the sins I just mentioned? How does that fall upon our hearts this morning? 
all sin is an abomination to God. All sin is evil. It doesn't matter what category it falls in. Our brother Wade read Psalm 97 verse 10 this morning. Here's our command. Hate evil. You who love the Lord. (laughs) You say you love the Lord. Hate evil. Again, it is always easy to see pride in another. Oh, I'm professional at that. I will spot pride in anyone but myself. Hate evil, you who love the Lord. It's easy to hate sin without. What about within? That's where the Holy Spirit, by the truth of his all-powerful word, does his work. Proverbs 8.13, we say we fear the Lord this morning. Okay, Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth, I hate, he says. No kidding, because he is holy. He is majestic. He is righteous, which we're going to sing in a moment. Evaluate your hatred of sin. The higher your view of God, dear child of God this morning, the more loathsome sin will be. The lighter your view of sin, the lower your view of God will be. The deeper your understanding of the gospel, the more joyful you will be. Even as Thomas Watson said, till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Evaluate your hatred of sin. Why this joy? How does this joy come out of having a deeper understanding of the gospel, which you never move beyond, by the way. You only are supposed to grow in it, dear Christian. So evaluate your hatred of sin. And number two, resolve to live a cross-centered life. We must daily come to Calvary's Hill, right? Daily, we must fix our eyes upon the cross. Unless we see ourselves standing there with the shrieking crowd full of hostility and hatred for the holy, innocent Lamb of God, we won't really understand the nature or depth of our sin or the necessity of the cross. God's hatred of sin makes Christ's loving sacrifice on the cross for our sin all the more remarkable because it was at the cross that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How stunning is this? That Jesus took our abominations, the very guilt of Proverbs 6 and beyond, upon himself and gave us the gift of his righteousness in return so that we can stand justified in his presence. Listen, justified in his presence doesn't mean that God treats us as though we have not sinned. No, he treats us as though we have the righteousness of his son. And we stand clothed, robed in his righteousness because of what he's done. We're going to sing this in a moment. Only Son of God, sent from heaven, hope and mercy 
at the cross. So I ask you this morning, as we close, have you repented and put your faith in Christ? Have you cried out, God, be merciful to me, the sinner? If so, then according to his sovereign grace, you go home today justified. Justified, declared righteous, washed, redeemed, forgiven because of his amazing grace. Evaluate your sin, your hatred of sin, resolve to live a cross-centered life because, as 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Please pray with me. Lord, we worship you as the sovereign, gracious, sin-hating God that you are. And because, Lord, you bore our sin in your body on that tree, why did you do that? You did that, Lord, so that we might die to sin and live unto righteousness because it was by your wounds that we are healed. So, Lord, we pray that our hearts would devise pure plans, that our hearts would desire and devise that which is good, that we would speak truth and crucify lies and false witnesses in our lives. Keep us, Lord, from making haste to run to evil. Cause our feet to run to good, not to spread strife, but to promote peace and build one another up in love. All because of your grace and all to your glory because you are worthy. So Lord, may we sing now like we have never sung before because your grace is greater than our sin and because you are all to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.